Uh, if you've all got a Bible, if you would uh, turn to it to Leviticus. <laughs> oh no, who goes in that book? Uh, Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 1. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. So that's your uh, third book of the Bible. And it says, And the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him out of the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, dot, dot, dot. And the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him out of the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them. So the bit I want to focus on to start with is this phrase, the tent of meeting. This is an unusual phrase, isn't it? But it's, uh, what is the tent of meeting? Well, basically, is anyone, I don't know if anyone's seen like pictures in books when you're at school of the tabernacle of Moses. It was like this big tent in the middle and around this tent was this big kind of uh, outer court area and then they had like where they sacrificed the animals. And actually in the, the, the tent, so to speak, or the tabernacle was two, two sections, the holy place and the most holy place. The holy places where you had big Jewish menorah, uh, and you had like the bread of the show, uh, bread of the presence, and then you had like a little altar, which was what you put, put uh, incense on, and then you had the veil, and then behind the veil was the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah? Anyone, anyone seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? We watched it the other day with my kids, and I was like, actually, it's probably not really an appropriate movie to show my kids. Uh, it was a bit late after I'd started. I was like, oh, sorry. Sorry, Jesus. I should have, shouldn't have done that. Um, but anyway, the end bit was great when everyone... No, I don't want to go into that. So, so some people have watched it already. Um, so basically, I want to talk about the tent of meeting. Now, in the good old days of the Old Testament... The only people that could go in the tent of meeting were really priests, and specifically in this particular part where the Ark of the Covenant was, only the high priest, okay? And uh, so obviously Moses used to go into the tent of meeting and God spoke to him. But I want to start by saying this, is that when God speaks, it wasn't like in some of those Charlton Heston movies where God speaks out of this raging fire and speaks to Charleston, Charleston Heston. It's not like that, because we know from Exodus 33 verse 11, it says that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Okay, so this was, this was the kind of relationship that Moses had with God. He had a relationship. It wasn't this one-way thing where God just tells him what to do and he just has to go and do it. Okay, there's a partnership. There's a relationship going on there, which is what I love about God. Because God doesn't need to do that, does he? He could be the big booming voice if he wanted to. And we as minions just get on with it. But that's not how God is. And that's not how he wants it to be. He wants us to have fellowship with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And I think this is what I love about Christianity is that it, I know I quote this scripture a lot, but John 17, three or four, I can't remember which one it is. But Jesus says, eternal life is knowing God. Hallelujah. So that is really what the crux of Christianity is about. It's not, it's not um, getting a free ticket out of here when you die, although it praise God that it is that part of that as well. But actually it's about knowing God. And, and so when I was meditating on this text this week, it just really spoke to me a lot about how God wants to relate to his people. And another thing, and which is kind of nice but kind of sad, is see God says to Moses, speak to the children of Israel. 
Now, what's nice here is that God is speaking to the children of Israel, the people of Israel. He's not, he's not calling them those people. He's calling them his own people. So he has this father heart towards these people. But what's a bit sad is that the people didn't want to hear the voice of God directly because it freaked them out and it scared them. Well, to be fair, you know, if we were stood by Mount Sinai, that was pretty, pretty horrendous experience. You know, the, everything's shaking, fire and explosions and lightning and God speaking out of the... Uh, out of, the th- out of the clouds. Now, I know God, and I know he wouldn't be dialing it down a little bit. You know when you go around to your grands and the TV is really loud, you can't hear anything because the TV's so loud. If you imagine that, what it was like on Mount Zion, okay? But with like massive big speakers to a power of 100, it's just, it would have been deafening. So the people were really freaked out. And they said, Lord Moses, can you please speak to us? And God said, yeah, that's a good idea. But now, through, through being Christians, we can have God speak to us every single day. You don't have to be a high priest. You don't have to be in a situation where you're called by God to a specific task. Now, this whole thing about the tent, the tent of meeting, is really quite interesting. There's another term that's used for the tent of meeting. It's also called the tabernacle, which as I've also mentioned. Now, that word tabernacle is really important. And it's one that I I feel, feel that some translations of the Bible don't really take it to, um, to, not to the extreme, but don't really take the advantage of that word and all, the, all that's wrapped up in it. So I'm going to show you a few things that are wrapped up in that word and see what that relates to us. So if you turn with me to uh, John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, this is talking about Jesus. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we saw his glory, glory in the same manner as the only child of the father, full of grace and truth. Now, that's how most translations will render that. And there's a massive revelation that's just being missed out there because that's not actually what the Greek says. It says the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. So Jesus now becomes the uh, tent of meeting. Jesus now becomes the tabernacle. Now, let's remember what was in the tabernacle, okay? In the tabernacle in the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, okay? Now, you remember Jonah the Mona, the prophet? It says that he tried to um, escape from God's presence, which is a really dull thing to do. He obviously didn't know God is omnipresent, but anyway, he had a try. So, and it says he ran, he, he got on a ship and went to Tarshish to escape the presence of the Lord. Well, what is the presence of the Lord? It's the Ark of the Covenant. That's what he's running from, okay? Now here comes Jesus, who is the tabernacle now, enfleshed, okay? And he is the manifest presence of God, a.k.a. Emmanuel. There he is, walking amongst us. We don't now, all of a sudden, while, you know, while they had the temple uh, up in Jerusalem, now Jesus, who is the temple of God, who is very God, is walking around and, and just chatting to people, meeting people, ministering to people, praying for people. I mean, what an amazing thing. All right. So we had Moses in the Old Testament. He went into this tent of meeting and there he could speak to God. And that was the place he spoke to God and heard God. And then he had to come back out again and do his thing. But now Jesus comes and tabernacles among us. But then we get to 1 Corinthians, what number is it? Uh, chapter 6, verse 19. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And then it says, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. 
Okay, and again, the Greek's not right there. It shouldn't be temple. It's sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. Sorry, sanct- yeah, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, t- sanctuaries of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we don't have an outer court. Okay, we have a holy and a most holy place in us. Okay, we are, hallelujah, a sanctuary with the Ark of the Covenant, which is the Holy Spirit, the presence of God inside of us. So that technically means that you and I are tents of meetings. Woo, hallelujah. Okay, so wherever I go, the presence of God is. Hallelujah. Okay, now some people might think that's a weird thing to say, but it is. And, and, and I think sometimes we forget this. We forget what we are and we forget what we bear and we forget who we carry. So every, no, I'm just like walking down the street like this. I don't walk down the street like this. Okay, but when I'm walking down the street, I am literally carrying the presence of God wherever I go. And I just think that's amazing. And if I, if I speak to someone, if I do an act of kindness, or if I, if, I, if I pray for someone, I am ministering Jesus who is within me to those people because I am a tabernacle. I am a tent of meeting. Hallelujah. And as Moses had to go into this tent of meeting to hear the voice of God, well, guess what? If you want to hear the voice of God, you are a tent of meeting. You can hear the voice of God for yourself. I love that scripture. Where is it? Jeremiah 31, 33. Let's have a quick look at that. When I was young, you used to hear the rustling of pages, but now in this digital age, I just don't hear anything anymore. I think, I think it might be verse 33. That's better. Thank you. I can hear the sound of rustling. okay so that's jeremiah 31 verse 34 lord i pray for short-term memory jeremiah what jeremiah what three jeremiah what jeremiah 31 verse 34 sometimes in our revelation course here we have to go through a lot of scriptures i literally say it into my dictaphone revelation chapter 2 verse 1 what was that again Revelation 2, chapter 1. What was that again? Revelation 2, chapter 1. Just save me repeating myself five times. <laughs> anyway, hopefully you're all there now. What book was it? And each person will no longer teach his neighbor, and each person his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. Okay, you don't need to be some kind of super saint. You don't need to be an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher to hear the voice of God. You don't need to be some crazy person that like lives in a monastery or something. Not that they're crazy, actually, they're quite normal. Okay, you don't have to be doing some like really far out stuff. You could just be very normal from the least to the greatest. All of us can hear the voice of God. Of course, the problem is that we all have the potential But the reality is that we don't often walk in that reality. My heart, my passion is for myself and for all of Christians to walk in the fullness of what God has given to us. And man, I don't even think we're even walking in like one sixteenth or anything to the degree that that we have the capacity to walk in. I think God's done some amazing things and we, we just have no idea. So hopefully what I'm trying to do is just scratch the surface and provoke us so that we go, yeah, there's so much more we could go in our Christian faith. There's so much more we can go. There's so much more to do in the things of God. It's such an exciting walk. I love it. So no longer will they teach their neighbour and say to one another, know the Lord, because all will know me. Hallelujah. 
I've met some Christians that, that are like, you know, they speak in tongues, not that this means anything, but you know, they, you, you would think, okay, they read their Bibles, they love Jesus, they pray, they speak in tongues, they learn to worship and dance real good, um, but, but they don't necessarily hear the voice of God very well. Okay, I think, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, from time to time in our lives, we've all struggled hearing the voice of God. But I think in these days, God really wants to encourage us. It's like, guys, okay? Now, some of us are older, some of us are younger, okay? Now, for you younger guys, right, this is your chance, this is your moment. If you get on this now, by the time you get to my age, okay, you'll be an expert at it, all right? Amen, all right. And that is really learning to press in to hear the voice of God. So, and I did a talk a few weeks ago about how to hear the voice of God. So today I just want to give you that, that foundation that you are a tent of meeting. You are a tabernacle. You have like the Ark of the Covenant in you. You have the presence of God inside of you. Hallelujah. That means, I don't know if you've ever really thought about this, the creator of everything, hallelujah, everything is living inside of you. All right, just let you think about that for a little while. Okay, hallelujah. Now I'm going to come back to this whole tent of meeting thing a little bit later, but I just want to focus on a few other things now, which I think are really important for, for going forward with this. So if we go back to our Leviticus verse again, if you've got it up there on the screen, have you got it there? No, she hasn't. Okay. Leviticus 1.1. 1, 1. And it says, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him out of the tent of meeting, speak to the children of Israel. Your, some of your translations just might, might just say, speak to the people of Israel. Um, but the Hebrew says, the Benai Yisrael, speak to the children of Israel. Now, this is another thing that I, that I come across quite a lot. And, I, and again, I say to the young people, this is something that you really need to get. Um, if, you, if you've had not a great experience growing up with your parents, for example, sadly that can fundamentally affect your relationship with God, especially with our relationship with father. So if you had maybe an abusive father or a father that was remote and distant or just cruel or just, just you know, there but not there, okay, um, that can really affect you and it really affects you as a child. And then you take that knowledge and then whether you know it or not, you will superimpose it onto the Father heart of God. And that means there's a lot of Christians that are living their lives, not walking in the fullness and the beauty of that relationship with Father God. Now, this is really important. And I, and I think, I, I think we, we really struggle with this. We, we really struggle with the Trinity, don't we? So well, I, don't, I don't struggle with it, okay? You know, but some people believe in three gods. It's not three gods, right? It's only one God, okay? No, it's just one God. But it's he, sorry, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So one in essence, one in nature, but three personalities, okay, that are completely in unison in how they think and how they are. Now, this is a mystery. But did you know that you can speak to the Father and hear the Father? that you can speak to the Son and hear the Son, and speak to the Spirit and hear the Spirit. Okay? Where's, you there? Where's that in the Bible then? Okay, well, the end of 2 Corinthians 13, 13, you know, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You know, how can you have fellowship with something, someone, if you don't actually have a relationship with them? It also says in 1 John, it says we have fellowship with the Father. We know that we have fellowship with the Son as well through the Holy Spirit. 
And, and therefore, this whole thing about Father God, because I think this is a real big one, because there are a lot of Christians who have a, what I would call an orphan spirit, not a demonic spirit, but just an attitude, an orphan attitude where they don't really get it when it comes to God being their dad. Yeah, they just don't, they, they want to get it, but they don't get it. And as a consequence of that, that really colours and clouds everything that they are relationally to others and specifically, and most importantly, to God himself. Amen? And yet, this is what I love about Jesus, because everyone loves Jesus. Well, most people do, but most people love Jesus. He's a great guy, yeah? God the Father, oh, I'm not a bit scared of him. Holy Spirit, don't really understand that. You know, I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I love the Holy Spirit, so I'm not talking uh, negatively about him. But there are a lot of people who don't get, a lot of Christians, they don't get the Holy Spirit. So I, I, can't, I can't get it. I can't get my head around it. And I can't relate to God the Father because I had a bad father or whatever. But I love Jesus. So that's generally what I hear. I love Jesus. Okay, well, let's have a look at what Jesus did then, shall we? What did Jesus say? Everything that I do and everything that I say is because I am doing and saying that which the Father told me to do and to say. Therefore, if you want to know what the Father looks like, have a look at his son, Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, I know that messes with our minds a little bit, but he's basically saying, you know, and this, this really blows my mind. But when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he only did what the Father told him to do. That was as good as the Father doing it himself. Isn't that mind-blowing? We don't, we don't dare to think things like that almost. It's like, oh no, you shouldn't, shouldn't say things like that, Chris. Well, why not? Because Jesus made it clear, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so I find a good way of getting to know the Father is actually through his Son. And when you, when you begin to contemplate all that Jesus did, every miracle, the fact that he even went to the cross, all of that is because it's the Father's will. It was as good as the Father being on the cross. Now, I'm not saying it was the Father on the cross, but it was as good as the Father being on the cross. That's how much he loves you. That's how much you mean to him. Turn with me to um, this wonderful scripture, Ephesians chapter 1. I've got a new Bible, so it doesn't open where it should yet. You know, when you've had a warning Bible, it just opens to wherever you tell it to, in theory. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. And it says, just as he, this is the, talking about the Father, chose us in him, that's Christ, before the foundation of the world for us to be holy and blameless in uh, his presence in love, because he predestined us into adoption through Jesus the Messiah into himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Blah, 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 blah. We just read that, don't we? Now, hang on, let's just stop a second. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before you did any good works, before you'd done anything good or anything bad, so performance Christianity is out the window on this one, isn't it? Oh, but Chris, he did it because he foreknew that you were going to be a good little Christian and that's why he chose you. Is that so? Because then it puts the onus 
of works back on us and we can get our salvation because God saw us for our good works and oh, I'll choose them because they're going to do good works for me. That therefore is the whole argument which Paul uses against the Torah saying it's not performance-based Christianity, it's by the love of God and by the grace of God and whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Amen? And then he did it before the foundation of the earth. In Revelation, I think it's Revelation 4, it says that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. Oh, what? See, he made the earth knowing it was all going to go pear-shaped? Yeah. And the answer to the problem was already in place. All right? Now, when you start to think about these things and you think that God chose you, now you can sit there and go, I don't know why he chose me. I'm such a terrible person. Yes, you are. We're all terrible people, hallelujah. Okay, it's the grace of God. It's the love of God. It's, you know, I can't explain it and say it, emphasize it enough. It's not about you. Take the effort off yourself. Take the burden off yourself. It's not down to you if God loves you or not. He's already chosen you. He's already died for you. It's a done deal. He loves you. Now, I understand from a, Jesus says now in, in John 14, if you love me, you will obey me. I'm not talking that we don't, go, we don't live righteous lives, but I'm saying if you're living a righteous life to make God love you, you've got a problem with your theology because that is not biblical theology. God loves you because he chose you, irrespective of your works. It says in Romans 9, it says, uh, Jacob I've loved, but Esau I have hated. And it goes on to say that he chose them irrespective of before, before birth, irrespective of any works, good or bad, that they'd done. So it wasn't this whole, well, God foreknew that Jacob would be a nice man and Esau would be a horrible man. And that's why he chose Jacob. A load of rubbish. Because again, it puts the emphasis on the works of man to obtain grace. And you can't do that. The grace of God is because he loves you and he's given it to you for free. Yes, we don't deserve it. We shouldn't have it, but he's given it to us. Hallelujah. He has blessed us because he is a loving, loving God and Father. Hallelujah. And when you start to begin to realise that, and when you start to begin to meditate on those things, it, it, it just turns you inside out, praise God. You live your life a different way. You are still living this holy and righteous life, but you're doing it for all the right reasons. You're doing it because you are loving God because he first loved you. You want to do good works for him because he did, first did good works for you and died on a cross and saved us from all of our sins. Hallelujah. That's the goodness of God. That is the goodness of God. Amen. Now, let's look at another one. Galatians 3. Oh, wrong way. So Galatians 3 and 26 to 27. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Messiah, you've been clothed with Messiah. Uh, is that verse 27? Yeah. So let's go back to that bit. You are all children of God through faith in Messiah. The only, the only way to get in, okay, is just believe. And this is the great thing. It says in Ephesians 2, it says you are saved by, uh, you're, you're saved by 
you're saved by grace through faith. Is that right? Yeah. Or saved by, yeah, I can't get those two wrong, around the wrong way. But what it, and then it goes on to say, but that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So even the faith, which you think you have to believe in Jesus, isn't even your faith. It's his faith. So he's giving you the faith to believe in him so that he can justify you and set you free from your sins that you can become a child of God. This has got nothing to do with you. All you get is a choice. Yes or no. Yes. That's it. Well done. You're in. Okay. That's the only work you need to do is open your mouth and say yes. That's it. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. But then when we get saved, we get into this performance-based Christianity. It's like, well, I must do this and I must because Jesus won't love me. Jesus won't love me. Listen. The only way you are ever going to grow righteous is if you know you're loved. And if Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. It doesn't say, if you obey me, then you love me. He says, if you love me, you will obey me. It's like husbands and wives. You know, I know we all have our bad days. But the reason why, generally, most husbands want to be nice to their wives is because, guess what? They love them. I think that works the other way around. <laughs> but generally, generally it's because <laughs> generally it's because we love our wives that we want to do right by them because we want to show them that we love them. That's Siri having a go there. And it's the same with God. It should be that our heart should be responding to God's love first to us, and then we choose to live a holy life. Not because we think it will make God love us more, but because actually we're responding to his love and it makes us want to be more like him as beloved children. It's a completely different paradigm for the, for the works-based righteousness. Yet, and I've, I've often said this, this can be a bit difficult. You can have a works-based righteous Christian and you can have a, uh, what I'm, I'm proposing and they both look the same. Actually, they look exactly the same from the externals from the internals it's a whole other world apart this poor person here is constantly doubting even some people doubt their salvation doubt this doubt that you know i must work harder to make god love me and if they if they if they make a mistake oh you know and they, they just whip themselves and give them such a sales a hard time but the person who knows that jesus loves them yeah they make mistakes but they understand that that you know by their very that even though they have a new nature they're still living in this old adamic body until the resurrection and therefore you're prone to do things wrong and you're going to prone to make mistakes and that's the grace of god and the love of god hallelujah and when you begin to realize that that's that's a good father that we have that a good father that we worship i love that song he's a good good father you know it's it really speaks to us very powerfully. And I think Christians, that's one of the things that a lot of Christians really struggle with. You know, some Christians fear about the loss of their salvation. I, I understand that fear. But that fear comes out of a place where you think it's all on you. It's not on you. It's on Christ. It was on the cross. That's where it was all dealt with. That's where it's all paid for. Hallelujah. Genesis 2.18, famous passage. It's not good for man to be alone. Now think about this, right? Adam, at this stage, was a perfect man. All right, now think about that for a second, women. Okay, he was a perfect man, okay? Now, even in that state, that God was walking with him every day in the cool of the day, or in the Hebrew it says in the ruach of the day, okay? So whilst he was walking in the wind of the day, he would have relationship with God. And yet still God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Isn't that interesting? Now, when we, when we eventually go to, there's a whole backstory and a reason for that, and I haven't got time to go into that. One day, when we all die and we go to glory, 
You know, the Bible says we don't need to be given in marriage anymore because we will become one with our God. Because that's what happens in the marriage of the Lamb. The, the, the bride and the, and, uh, and the husband will, will, will become one. And this is what Paul talks about in Corinthians. He's talking about a man and a woman come together and they become one flesh. He says, of course, I'm not talking about a man and a woman. I'm talking about the mystery of Christ and the church. Hallelujah. So that's your future. But on this side of eternity, God knows how you're built, knows how you're designed, because that's how he made you and that's how he designed you. And he knows that it's not good that man should be alone. And that's another reason why we need to be with each other. We need to have fellowship. And this is why as Christians, we need to make sure that we're in a good place of good fellowship because you can't really be pushing into the things of God if you're all by yourself. I, I, know, I know some people try, I've tried it, guess what? I tried and died, it doesn't work. Yeah, you get so far, but because you're doing things by your own strength. If you do things the way according to kingdom, if you do things the way according to scripture, if you do things God's way, it just lets the release of his blessings and it will just flow through your life. If we do it the right way, it opens us up to more blessings in our lives. It's just obvious, isn't it? Do it God's way, it will work. Do it man's way, it won't work. Hallelujah. So it's not good that man should be alone. But it's good, and this is another thing, is that we must be a people that really dig into having fellowship with God. Fellowship with him. Not just, um, oh, you know, I know God and I go to church on a Sunday and I do this and this, but actually really pressing in to know him, to hear his voice. And then just to throw it out there, to get to know God so well that you know when the Father's speaking to you, or when the Son is speaking to you, or when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Has anyone experienced that? All three persons of the Trinity talking? Just me. Uh oh. I'm going to have to be given my P45 later. <laughs> and there's one more scripture I just want to look at, which is in 1 Samuel 3.10. This, this is a lovely scripture. First Samuel 3.10. And it says, um, and the Lord came and stood. All right, you've probably never seen that before. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen. Okay. We've got to learn to listen. We're not very good at listening, are we? I said we're not very good at listening, are we? No. no right. So we're not, we're not very good at listening. We're really good at talking. We're really good at the shopping list. So, I mean, this might be a bit like a bad example. Some of you might think I'm a loon for saying this, but I don't care. Okay, so I get quite a lot of prophetic words from the Lord. And this week, uh, he started talking to me about waves. Okay, I saw, saw this signpost with like a wave thing on it. And I was like, okay. And I kept driving past it. And then after a while, it keeps going around your mind. It's like, oh, I think, I think, uh, and I, I didn't really get it. And then I saw something else with uh, ground wave on the side of a van. I just felt God saying, hello. Hello, but I still wasn't getting it. And then I was speaking to someone and doing some ministry, and he started talking to me about light, saying light is a photon that moves in waves. And so I was like, waves, there's that word again. Okay, and then, and then there's something else, and I was like, ah, oh, I get it. God is trying to speak to me. So then I actually then sat down, said, Lord, your servant is listening. Finally, it took a week. Lord, your servant is listening. And then as I meditated on what he was trying to say, he gave me this beautiful word about not those kind of waves, but waves of the sea uh, and, and the tides and what that was. And it was just a beautiful prophetic word. 
And I realised that actually God is speaking to us an awful lot. But we're just not getting it. We're just not switched on. We're just, oh, you know, we're just seeing things, but we're not perceiving things. We're hearing things, but we're not really hearing. You know, that, that, that's true of a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves. And so for me, it's made me more resolute that I'm going to de- be determined to hear God more and more and more. Because I think, personally, God's a chatty God and he's always got plenty to say. Yeah? I mean, we've always got lots to say. It stands to reason that God has as well. I mean, what an honour, what a privilege that we have at these tents of meetings that we can actually hear the voice of the living God. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Well, I just want to end it with this point, is that growing to learn the voice of God is not a all-by-yourself thing to do because you can get yourself into a little bit of trouble. Anyone got themselves into trouble by being their own little echo chamber listening to the voice of God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've learned, learned the hard way on this. And this is why we need each other. This is why it's not good for us to be alone. This is why God wants us to be, you know, a church, which is like, well, what is a church? I'll tell you what a church is. It's a local congregation of living stones that come together to form the temple of God locally. Okay. You ever wondered what the New Jerusalem is? Why it's called the Bride of Christ for those that have read the book of Revelation? Because we're all living stones. And when we come together... We form the temple of God. And so at the end of days, the new Jerusalem that will come out of heaven down onto the new earth, it, it, it's a, it, it is real. And it's like every single stone in that building, you are represented in it. And it's the fullness of the completeness of all the people that are going to be saved at the end of the age to form this full temple of God. Hallelujah. Which, by the way, is 15,000 miles wide as it is high. So it's pretty big. Okay, That's a lot of people in there. And this is your inheritance. This is who you are. This is what you're called to. And this is why church is important, that we have local congregations where you've got small communities of people that come together as living stones to form the temple of God. Because no one in this room is the church. Together we are the church. But individually, you are individual members of the church. The only person that can say he is the church is Christ himself, because the church is the body of Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. So, Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone here, Lord, and I pray for myself included, Lord. I pray, Father, that you will teach us to hear you more and more and more. See you, Lord God, when you're putting signs right in front of us, when you're saying things to us that that we're not getting sometimes. I pray, Lord, in your mercy, um, help us. Uh, ignorant little children, Lord, that we don't see how you're talking to us. Help us to see things more clearly, Lord Jesus. And Lord, lead us on this wonderful work, walk with you, Lord, where we are tents of meetings, Lord, where we can have in, uh, literal conversations with you every day of our lives. And we just give you all the praise and all the glory for Christ and your Father heart love for us. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.